millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Fireside. I'm your host, Nicole. Fireside Anthology is a podcast where we collectively gather, relax, and listen to stories across all genres by a variety of authors. Come in, relax with us. are finally settling down and um, getting back to a regular rhythm and I cannot tell you how important that is during this time of interrupted schedules and you know changes that we have no control over so it's nice it's nice to get back to you know, carving this time out to sit with you guys and really just enjoy the virtual company. Um, decided to try out recording from my closet this week and not gonna lie, I kinda dig it. I kinda dig it. Um bit of a longer story this week so we're gonna keep our house our housekeeping and our introductions right up top super brief but I do want to mention a few things so I know that I am constantly plugging our patreon but quite honestly I've had to scale back on a lot of things in my life blunder kitchen uh, my food and history podcast is back up uh, out now with season two. First two episodes of that are available, by the way, on any podcatcher of your choice. Um, but I really want to be able to put my focus into things that I really, really enjoy. And that's just the quality of the product that I'm presenting to everyone from week to week. And because right now it is just me, I just can't keep up as many sites as I was running before. So we're moving away from Patreon. Um, But that's not to say that you can't support the show if you feel so inclined or that 
you know, you can't get sweet merch. We've actually just moved to a simpler platform and that is ko-fi.com and you can still support the show monetarily through there. You can still get merch from the show. It's just a little bit more simplified. Um, it's really up to you. Um, it doesn't matter how much you give, you could give 50 cents and you know, you would still be able to get merch. So a little simpler. Um, and you can find us at ko-fi.com slash fireside antho and that link is up on our social media which is fireside antho on instagram as well as in our show notes um long story in honor of halloween as well as dia de los muertos we're going to be getting into some longer stories so without further ado here's a brief message from our sponsors and then this evening's story. Hey listeners, are you interested in starting your very own podcast, but you're not quite sure where to start and everything seems a little confusing? Rest assured, Anchor is here to take out the confusion of starting your own podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, and we love free. There's creation tools right in the app that allow you to record and edit your podcast simply. You know, you don't even have to download a bunch of expensive equipment. All you need is what you already have in your hand. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. You don't even have to worry about how to get it out there. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership simply by posting ads like this one. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place is at Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The Call of Cthulhu by H.P. Lovecraft This story was found among the papers of the late Francis Wayland Thurston of Boston, and it begins with the following quote. Of such great powers or beings there may be conceivably a survival, a survival of hugely remote period when consciousness was manifested perhaps in the shapes and forms long since withdrawn before the tide of advancing humanity, the forms which poetry and legend alone have caught a flying memory and call them gods, monsters, mythical beings of all sorts and kinds. This quote is from Algernon Blackwood. And now we begin our story. Part 1. The Horror in Clay The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. 
We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us very little. But some day the piecing together of dissociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality and of our frightful position therein that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. Theosophists have guessed at the awesome grandeur of this cosmic cycle wherein our world and human race form transient incidents. They have hinted at strange survivals on terms where, which would freeze the blood if not masked by a bland optimism. But it is not from them that there came the single glimpse of forbidden eons which chills me when I think of it and maddens me when I dream of it. That glimpse, like all dread glimpses of truth, flashed out from an accidental piecing together of separated things. In this case, an old newspaper item and the notes of a dead professor. I hope that no one else will accomplish this piecing out. Certainly, if I live, I shall never knowingly supply a link in so hideous a chain. I think that the professor, too, intended to keep silent regarding the part he knew, and that he would have destroyed his notes had not sudden death seized him. My knowledge of the thing began in the winter of 1926-27, to 27, with the death of my grand-uncle George Gamel Angle, Professor Emeritus of Semitic Languages in Brown University, Providence, Rhode Island. Professor Angle was widely known as an authority on ancient inscriptions, and had frequently been resorted to by the heads of prominent museums, so that his passing at the age of 92 may be recalled by many. Locally. Interest was intensified by the obscurity of the cause of death. The professor had been stricken whilst returning from Newport, the Newport boat, falling suddenly, as witnesses said, after having been jostled by a nautical-looking black man who had come from one of the queer dark courts and the precipitous hillside which formed a shortcut from the waterfront to the deceased's home in William Street. Physicians were unable to find any visible disorder, but concluded after perplexed debate that some obscure lesion of the heart, induced by the brisk ascent of so steep a hill by so elderly a man, was responsible for the end. At the time, I saw no reason to descend from this dictum, but laterally, laterally, I am inclined to wonder, and more than wonder. As my granduncle's heir and executor, for he died a childless widower, I was expected to go over his papers with some thoroughness, and for that purpose moved his entire set of files and boxes to my quarters in Boston. Much of the material which I correlated will later be published by the American Archaeological Society, but there was one box which I found exceedingly puzzling and which I felt much averse from showing to other eyes. It had been locked and I did not find the key until it occurred to me to examine the personal ring which the, which the professor always carried in his pocket. Then, indeed, I succeeded in opening it, but when did I so seem? But when I did so, seemed only to be confronted by a greater and more closely locked barrier. For what could be the meaning of the queer clay bas relief of the disjointed jottings, ramblings, and cuttings which I found? Had my uncle, in his latter years, become credulous of the most superficial impostures? 
I resolved to search out the eccentric sculptor responsible for this apparent disturbance of an old man's peace of mind. The bas-relief was a rough rectangle less than an inch thick and about five by six inches in area, obviously of modern origin. Its designs, however, were far from modern in an atmosphere and suggestion, for although the vagaries of cubism and futurism are, wild, are many and wild, they do not often reproduce that cryptic regularity which lurks in prehistoric writing. In writing of some kind, the bulk of these designs seemed certainly to be Though my memory, despite much familiarity with the papers and collections of my uncles, failed in any way to identify this particular species, or even to hint at its remotest affiliations. Above these apparent hieroglyphics was a figure of evidently pictorial intent, though its impressionistic execution forbade a very clear idea of its nature. It seemed to be a sort of monster, or symbol representing a monster, of a form which only a deceased fancy could conceive. If I say that my somewhat extravagant imagination yielded simultaneous pictures of an octopus, a dragon, and a human caricature, I shall not be unfaithful to the spirit of the thing. A pulpy, tentacled head surmounted a grotesque and scaly body with rudimentary rings, but it was the general outline of the whole which made it most shockingly frightful. Behind the figure was a vague suggestion of a cyclopean architectural background. The writing accompanying the oddity was, aside from a stack of press cu cuttings, in Professor Uncle's most recent hands, and made no pretense to literary style. What seemed to be the main document was headed Cthulhu Cult, in characters painstakingly printed to avoid the erroneous reading of a word so unheard of. The manuscript was divided into two sections, the first of which was headed 1925 Dream and dream work of H. A. Wilcox, 7 Thomas Street, Providence, Rhode Island, and the second, narrative of Inspector John R. Lagrasse, 121 Bienville Street, New Orleans, Louisiana, at 1908 AAS meeting. Notes on the same and Professor Webb's account. The other manuscript papers were all brief notes, some of them accounts of the queer dreams of different persons, some of them citations from theophilosophical books and magazines, notably W. Scott Elliott's Atlantis and the Lost Lemuria, and the rest comments on long-surviving secret societies and hidden cults with references to passages in such mythological and anthropological source books as Fraser's Golden Bough and Miss Murray's witch cults in Western Europe. The cuttings largely alluded to outre mental illnesses and outbreaks of group folly or mania in the spring of 1925. The first half of the principal manuscript told a very peculiar lie. It appears a very This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed and specialist to find out if it's right for you. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Peculiar tale. It appears that on March 1st, 1925, a thin, dark man of neurotic and excited aspect had called upon Professor Ankel bearing the singularly clay, singular clay bass relief, which was then exceedingly damp and fresh. His card bore the name of Henry Anthony Wilcox, and my uncle had recognized him as the youngest son of an excellent family, slightly known to him, who had latterly been studying sculpture at the Rhode Island School of Design and was living alone at the Fleur de Lis building near that institution. Wilcox was a precocious youth of known genius but great eccentricity and had from childhood excited attention to the strange stories and odd dreams he was in the habit of relating. He called himself psychically hypersensitive, but the staid folk of the ancient commercial city dismissed him as merely queer. Never mingling much with his kind, he had dropped gradually from social visibility and was now known only to a small group of 
aesthetes from other towns. Even the Providence Art Club, anxious to preserve its conservatism, had found him quite hopeless. On the occasion of the visit, ran the professor's manuscript. The sculptor abruptly asked for the benefit of his host's archaeological knowledge in identifying the hieroglyphics on the bas-relief. He spoke in a dreamy, stilted manner which suggested pause and alienated sympathy, and my uncle shewed some sharpness in replying for the conspicuous conspicuous freshness of the tablet implied kinship with anything but archaeology. Young Wilcox's rejoinder, which impressed my uncle enough to make him recall and record it verbatim, was of a fantastically poetic cast which must have typified his whole conversation, and which I have since found highly characteristic of him. He said, It is new indeed, for I made it last night in a dream of strange cities, and dreams are older than brooding Tyre, or the contemplative Sphinx, or the garden-girded Babylon. It was then that he began that rambling tale which suddenly played upon a sleeping memory and won the fevered interest of my uncle. There had been a slight earthquake tremor the night before, the most considerable felt in New England for some years, and Wilcox's imagination had been keenly affected. Upon retiring, he had an unprecedented dream of great cyclopean cities of titan blacks and sky-flung monoliths all dripping with green ooze and sinister with latent ore. Hieroglyphics had covered the walls and pillars, and from some undetermined point below had come a voice that was not a voice, a chaotic sensation which only fancy would transmute into a sound, but which he attempted to render by the almost unpronounceable jumble of letters, Cthulhufactron. This verbal jumble was the key to the recollection which excited and disturbed Professor Uncle. He questioned the sculptor with scientific minuteness and studied with almost frantic intensity the bas-relief on which the youth had found himself working, chilled and clad only in his nightclothes when waking had stolen wildly over him. My uncle blamed his old age, Wilcox afterwards said, for his slowness in recognizing both hieroglyphics and pictorial design. Many of his questions seemed highly out of place to his visitor, especially those which tried to connect the latter with strange cults or societies, and Wilcox could not understand the repeated promises of silence which he was offered in exchange for an admission of membership in some widespread mystical or paganly religious body. When Professor Angle became convinced that the sculptor was indeed ignorant of any cult or system of cryptic lore, he besieged his visitor with demands for future reports of dreams. This bore regular fruit, for after the first interview the manuscript records daily calls of the young man, during which he related startling fragments of nocturnal imagery whose burden was always some terrible cyclopean vista of dark and dripping stone with a subterranean voice or intelligence shouting monotonously in enigmatical sense impacts uninscribable save as gibberish the two sounds most frequently repeated are those rendered by the letters cthulhu and le on march 23rd the manuscript continued wilcox failed to appear and inquiries at his quarters revealed that he had been stricken with an obscure sort of fever and taken to the home of his family in Waterman Street. 
He had cried out in the night, accusing several other artists in the building, and had manifested since then only alterations of unconsciousness and delirium. My uncle at once telephoned the family, and from that time forward kept close watch of the case, calling often at the Thayer Street office of Dr. Toby, whom he learned to be in charge. The youth's febrile mind, apparently, was dwelling on strange things, and the doctor shuddered now and then as he spoke of them. They included not only a repetition of what he had formerly dreamed, but touched wildly on a gigantic thing miles high which walked or lumbered about. He had no time fully described this object, but occasional frantic words as repeated by Dr. Toby convinced the professor that it must be identical with the nameless monstrosity he had sought to depict in his dream sculpture. Reference to this object, the doctor added, was invariably a prelude to the young man's subs subsidience in still lethargy. His temperature, oddly enough, was not greatly above normal, but his whole condition was otherwise as to suggest true fever rather than a mental disorder. On April 2nd, at about 3 p.m., every trace of Wilcox's malady suddenly ceased. He sat upright in bed, astonished to find himself at home and completely ignorant of what happened in dream or reality since the night of March 22nd. Pronounced well by his physician, he returned to his quarters in three days. But to Professor Angle, he was of no further assistance. All trace of strange dreaming had vanished with his recovery, and my uncle kept no record of his night thoughts after a week of pointless and irrelevant accounts of thoroughly usual visions. Here the first part of the manuscript ended, but references to certain of the scattered notes gave me much material for thought. So much, in fact, that the only ingrained skepticism then forming my philosophy can account for my continued distrust of the artist. The notes in question were those descriptive of the dreams of various persons covering the same period that, as that in which young Wilcox had his strange visitations. My uncle, it seems, had quickly instituted a prodigiously far-flung body of inquiries among nearly all the friends whom he could question without impertinence, asking for nightly reports of their dreams, and the dates of any notable visions for some time past. The reception of his requests seems to have been varied, but he must at the very least have received more responses than any ordinary man could have handled without a secretary. This original correspondence was not preserved, but his notes formed a thorough and really significant digest. Average people in society and business, New England's traditional salts of the earth, gave an almost in almost completely negative results, though scattered cases of uneasy but formless nocturnal impressions appear here and there, always between March 23rd and April 2nd, the period of young Wilcox's delirium. Scientific men were little more affected, though four cases of vague description suggest fugitive gl glimpses of strange landscapes, and in one case there is mentioned a dread of something abnormal. It was from the artists and poets that the pertinent answers came, and I know that panic would have broken loose had they been able to compare notes. As it was, lacking their original letters, I half suspected the compiler of having asked leading questions, or of having edited the correspondence in corroboration of what he had latently resolved to see. 
That is why I continued to feel that Wilcox, somehow cognizant of the old data which my uncle had possessed, had been imposing on the veteran scientist. These responses from Esthetes told a disturbing tale. From February 28th to April 2nd, a large proportion of them had dreamed very bizarre things, and the intensity of the dreams being immeasurably the stronger during the period of the sculptor's delirium. Over a fourth of these who reported anything reported scenes and half-sounds not unlike those which Wilcox had described, and some of the dreamers confessed acute fear of the gigantic nameless thing visible toward the last. In one case, which the note describes with emphasis, was very sad. The subject, a widely known architect with leanings toward theosophy, theosophy and occultism, went violently insane on the date of young Wilcox's seizure, and expired several months later after incessant screamings to be saved from some escaped denizen of hell. Had my had my uncle referred to these cases by name instead of merely by number, I should have attempted some cooperation and personal investigation, but as it was, I succeeded in tracing down only a few. All of these, however, bore out the notes in full. I have often wondered if all of the objects of the professor's questioning felt as puzzled as did this fraction. It is well that no explanation shall ever reach them. The press cuttings, as I have intimated, touched on cases of panic, mania, and eccentricity during the given period. Professor Angle must have employed a cutting bureau, for the number of extracts was tremendous and the sources scattered throughout the globe. Here was a nocturnal suicide in London where a lone sleeper had leaped from a window after a shocking cry. Here likewise a rambling letter to the editor of a paper in South America where a fanatic deduces a dire future from visions he had seen. A dispatch from California describes a theosophist colony as donning white robes in mass for some glorious fulfillment which never arrives, whilst items from India speak guardedly of a serious native unrest toward the end of March. Voodoo orgies multiply in Haiti, and African outposts report ominous mutterings. American officers in the Philippines find certain tribes bothersome about this time and New York policemen were mobbed by hysterical Levantines on the night of March 22nd and 23rd. The west of Ireland, too, is full of wild rumor and legendary, and a fantastic painter named Audois Bonnois hangs a blasphemous dream landscape in the Paris Salon of 1926. And so numerous are the recorded troubles in a sane silence that only a miracle can have stopped the medical fraternity from noting at the state's scarcely invidious from noting strange parallelism and drawing mystified conclusions a weird bunch of cuttings all told and i can at this date scarcely envisage the callous rationalism which with 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 which i set them aside but i was then convinced that young wilcox had known of the older matters mentioned by the professor Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the story. I know, I did. If you liked this story and you would love to help us out, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, write us a review, or really anywhere that um, 
you listen, your favorite podcatcher, uh, or just tell a friend, you know? Be incredibly grateful for for the support. Um, if you want to support us in even more ways, you can become a subscriber at patreon.com slash fireside anvil. And, you know, we've got some neat little perks up there. Beautiful merch, bonus episodes, um, you know, shout outs in the episodes. We're always thinking of new things to bring to bring for our subscribers and um it'll be fun you know figuring it out together with you uh we're on instagram at fireside antho and we'll always post um well first and foremost just a little blurb about the uh story of the week and um you know just things things throughout the, the months interesting facts about authors uh, memes about books, you know, the usual. Um, that's all for now, folks. Thank you so much for joining us at the fireside, and we'll see you next week. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.